Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see all of you guys here this morning. Welcome to Living Waters. My name is Josh, and I'm the preaching pastor here. So thankful that you guys are here with us. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to 1 Thessalonians. There's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so as we get there, as we get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think there is some kind of... um, some kind of picture I think I want to put up here this morning. Oh, oh what? How did that get up there? That is so crazy. So last week, I wore a Hawkeye shirt, and I said, I'm not sure if I get to wear this shirt again, right? No guarantee. But... Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. I get to wear this shirt, and I get to put this up on the screen, because indeed, for the sixth year in a row, it is a Hawkeye State. Amen. Pro-Iowa State crowd here. All right. Now, Cyclone fans, listen. We love you. You are loved in this church. We just won't let you win. That's, That's just the reality of it. Just kidding. Okay, God's good. That's funny. All right, now we transition to God's Word and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. Last week, we covered the rapture and believers being caught up by Jesus into the air at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, we are transitioning into the next topic that Paul brings up, which is the day of the Lord, and that is the judgment of God on humanity. And some of you know a lot about this. Some of you know very little. God is good. He's going to teach all of us as we read his word together. So let's read verses 1 through 11 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come Like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security. Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, that the day should surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. But we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but he has destined us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, we are so blessed to even read the word and hear it. That is a gift from you. God, we don't want to take it for granted. Reading and hearing the word is a joy to us. It changes us. It it transforms us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So already, God, we, by faith, believe that you're already working, stirring in our minds and our hearts with your truth, and it's good for us, God. So Lord, I pray for every Christian here that you would encourage them, build them up. Lord, help them to see new truths that will change their lives. God, may you help us as Christians not to walk out the same as we walked in. May we be transformed even just a little bit into the image of Jesus this morning. And Lord, for those who are lost in darkness, in sin, without forgiveness, Lord, may you speak to them regarding their future judgment. And Lord, may you cause them to see for the first time their need for Jesus and to believe. Lord, we pray that you would do all this by the miracle and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to continue our sermon series, What's Next? All right, the return of Christ and the life to come. And we will be in this series from now till early December. And I just want to continue to encourage you as we take this journey through several different passages of Scripture that you might have open ears and eyes to end times. Sometimes in the Christian life, the end times is kind of like stiff-armed, pushed off to the side because you know you're in Christ, but the book of Revelation is almost outlawed for you because you're like, I don't know. It's scary. That's what I know. And I don't, I don't want to be scared. So as a Christian, I'm just going to avoid end times doctrine so that I can feel good about myself and I can just love Jesus, right? And I want you to understand that as we go through this, I don't want you to be afraid of end times doctrine. I want you to love it. I want you to dig into it. I want you to see it for what it is and feel the hope and the encouragement of Jesus in your life, okay? So as we do that, I want to remind you of the principles we talked about last week about how to read prophecy and how to interpret the end times, okay? Real quickly, all right, the end times, prophecy is clear, okay? God's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to you know, pull a fast one on you as a Christian to say, hey, it's really like this. Oh, just kidding. It's like this. God's not that way. He's a kind, gracious father. He wants you to understand in Christ what's going to happen next. Now, prophecy is also mysterious. There are certain mind-bending passages that you will work for the rest of your life to try to understand. And even at the end of your days, you're like, I don't still understand Daniel 8. I still don't get it. That's okay. It's mysterious. Some of prophecy is very mysterious. Prophecy also gives room, okay? You got to give room for your system to have a little wiggle, okay? Some of your beliefs about your end times charts are not correct. You got to give some room in a conversation to be wrong, Or to be corrected because you don't know and nobody knows with perfection besides God how it's all going to go. 
Give some room in your system. Give grace. Amen? Amen. Give some grace. Prophecy is hopeful. For the Christian, prophecy is a very profitable, wonderful, hopeful, encouraging doctrine. You don't need to be afraid of it. Prophecy, if you know Christ, is very hopeful. Okay? My heart as a preacher for you is that in December, if I run into you and I ask you, what'd you learn? What'd you learn in the fall? I hope to not hear nothing. (laughs) I hope you say something. But if you say something, I hope it's this. Pastor, I learned the themes, the essential doctrine of the return of Jesus. And I am encouraged by what I have learned and I'm confident about the future. So many Christians are paralyzed and hopeless because they pay more attention to their social media feeds than they do the word of God. And so what we need to do is look at the word of God and by December say, God, we're encouraged. We're excited about the future. No matter what the headlines are, we are smiling about the future. So here's the scene that we're picking up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is continuing his theological argument about the end times and about prophecy and about the return of Christ. So at the end of chapter 4, he talked about the rapture, where Jesus comes back and all believers are snatched up to meet Christ in the air, the the dead in Christ first, and those who know Christ and are alive second, right? 1A, 1B. And in the midst of that, Paul is saying the rapture should encourage and comfort you. Chapter 4, verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In Paul's theology, he's going from the rapture to the day of the Lord. Rapture first, day of the Lord second. And the day of the Lord is a day of great judgment. But Paul finishes the passage in verse 11 by saying this. He says, therefore... Encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. This is interesting because Paul is saying the rapture should encourage you and the day of the Lord should also encourage you. That's awesome for us because the day of the Lord feels scary to us. Our initial fleshly response to the day of the Lord is, I'm kind of frightened by what all that judgment and the earth burning and all that stuff means. What does that mean for me? Right? I don't want to get burned, right, by God. Paul is saying the day of the Lord is an encouragement. And so I want you guys to be encouraged. I think that's the big idea. Believers should be encouraged and strengthened as they see the day of the Lord approaching. So as the day of the Lord, whatever that is, As it comes to us, we should be encouraged by it and strengthened in it. Which leads to the question that I've gotten several times this week. How can I understand the day of the Lord in such a way that I will feel encouraged? Okay, many Christians are living in this question. How do do I get to that place where in my mind, I actually feel encouraged by the day of the Lord? What is that? How is that possible? Okay, well, that's where we're going this morning. I think you got to build up your knowledge, which is good. You got to build up your knowledge of what's coming. And you got to see the different aspects of the day of God and find your encouragement there. So let's start with aspect number one about the day of the Lord. And that is the curiosity that surrounds the day of the Lord. Verse one, 
Now concerning the times and season, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you. Paul is addressing times and seasons. And he's saying, look, Thessalonian church, Timothy told me you have some questions about what's coming. And let me just tell you about times and seasons. And let me tell you, I don't need to write to you about it. Now let's break down those two words, okay? Times. I'll start with that. That is the Greek word chronos, all right? That's where we get our seconds and our minutes and our schedules and our days, all right? For all of you who are schedule people, all right, this is your word right here. This is your jam right here. Verse one, you got, the, you got the seconds and the minutes and everything's down and you got your schedule and you know exactly what's going on. And that is what Paul is saying. The minutes and the seconds of when Jesus is going to come back, right? All you schedule people are like, yeah, when's that happening, right? <clears throat> You guys remember grandfather clocks? Y'all remember those? Okay. Grandfather clocks freaked me out as a kid. <clears throat> Go to my grandparents' house in Wisconsin. Walk down the hallway. There's a big grandfather clock with the cuckoo bird, psycho bird comes out. And you're walking down and it's tick, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. And then it's like the bong, bong. And then the bird comes out. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> I hate you, clock. I you know, like as a kid, it's just scary. That is what Paul's talking about. Like we measure our seconds and our minutes and we know the tick-tock of our lives is going on. And we want to know like, how, how's that all going to work out? How's everything going to work out in the end? I'm getting really anxious about my chronos, my time, my seconds, my minutes. I don't want to lose my hours, you know? Can I get a witness? The second word he uses for seasons is kairos. That's a different word. And seasons is more like event-driven, okay? And that means like moments you never forget. Every generation has kairos. You have the chronos, you have the tick-tock of the clock, but every generation has moments, cataclysmic moments in your life that stop you right where you're at and just leave you in awe of two things, who God is and the shortness of your life here and now. We just, we just did this yesterday, 9-11. If we can put up those photos. This is a picture on the left of the World Trade Center Marriott. That might mean nothing to you. It means everything to me. On July 6, 1999, I got saved in that hotel. That's where I became a Christian. I heard the gospel, believed in Jesus, Right? And it was a life-transforming moment for me in that building. Two years later, firefighter is there. Planes are in buildings. And as a 19-year-old as a kid, I remember where I was, as many of you do, where you were when those planes hit those towers. And that was a Kairos moment for us. That was a moment in time, an event, where all of us were just like, that stops me in my tracks and leaves me curious about the future. What's going to happen? What is the ramifications of everything I'm seeing and feeling? And we feel the curiosity inside of our hearts and minds about what is to come. And so Paul addresses both. And he says, let me address your TikTok seconds and minutes and hours. Let me also address your heart for these big moments and let me tell you that you are not alone in being curious about when the big finish is going to happen. 
What about the end of the world? Because that is what really gets our hearts and minds going when we see these big moments and we see our lives going on. We wonder, when's it all going to like really end? You're in good company. The disciples also asked that of Jesus twice. The second time they asked it was in Acts chapter 1. Is it now, Lord? You're going to bring the times and epochs to the end? Are you going to bring the kingdom of God right now? And the first time they asked it was in Matthew 24. Is it now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, God? And Jesus then launches into the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, which we will be looking at in the coming weeks. But the day of the Lord sparks curiosity in our hearts. Something inside our souls gets stirred up when we start thinking about that God the reality that God has something big in store. So what do you do with your curiosity? Because there's a lot of curiosity about the day of the Lord. Let me exhort you as a pastor and just tell you, lean into your curiosity. Okay? Use your curiosity to study the Bible more than you ever have. Now, don't go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs or we'll kick you out of this church. Amen? But I do encourage you within the boundaries of orthodoxy, seek knowledge about the end of the world. Seek knowledge about the day of the Lord. Do it in a way where your curiosity drives you into good doctrine. It's good to be curious if you get on the right path. So that's aspect number one. There's definitely a curiosity about the day of the Lord. Aspect number two is the definition of the day of the Lord. Verse two. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. So if you're you're a Christian, you're probably like many other Christians wondering, when is this day going to happen? And what is it? Can we go back up, Pastor, before you get into all the details? What is the day of the Lord anyway? I don't fully understand that. If you are confused this morning about the day of the Lord, you are not alone. Amen? Amen. The day of the Lord is a subject that is vast in its depth and in its breadth. Okay, my dad and I were just talking about this yesterday um, during the Iowa Hawkeye game because I said, Dad, if the Hawkeyes win, I think I'm ready for the rapture in the day of the Lord. <laughs> And my dad and I were talking, and I, I kind of I have something to confess about my father, if I can, just for a moment. My dad watched last week's sermon on YouTube, and he said, he texted me, Josh, great message, except for throwing me under the bus. <laughs> so I had a moment of humility and repentance last week with my father, and I said, Dad, I'm sorry. But my dad, for real is an expert in end times. He really, truly is. And he is a great man of God, and he knows a lot about the day of the Lord. And so we were talking about this yesterday, that the depth of the day of the Lord is so beyond our, our fathoming of our brains. It's just, it's just hard. You study your whole life, and you won't really come to the end of what the day of the Lord means. So we'll be studying for the next five weeks. At the end of five weeks, you'll say there's still a lot more to learn. And we'll say yes and amen to that, right? But the day of the Lord, let's put a couple definitions up here for you. The day of the Lord is the unexpected and unannounced day of God that will signal 
the judgment of God and the end of the world. Okay, now you've all read in Psalms, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's not the day of the Lord. That's just today. That's a normal day. Every day we should give thanks to God, but there is a peculiar day coming. And that's, let's get the next definition up. The day of the Lord is a peculiar day of God's wrath where he kicks off a period of time that involves just punishment upon sinful humanity for unrepentant pride, sin, and rebellion. So the day of the Lord is like this specific and peculiar day that kicks off a season of time that is God's just judgment on the earth for sin. Now, the day of the Lord is referenced dozens and dozens and dozens of times. If you go home and Google it, or if you look up an old school concordance, you will find the day of the Lord in the Bible dozens and dozens and dozens of times. So you're talking the prophet Joel, you're talking Amos, you're talking Acts, Romans, 2 Corinthians, I mean, all over the place. I'm going to give you just a couple examples, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. First of all, Zephaniah 1. How many of you read Zephaniah lately, huh? All right, all right, Randy, Cole, all right, there's a few. Okay, Zephaniah 1, 14 through 16, listen to this. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. Of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry. The day of the Lord is not a day of butterflies and rainbows. Let's go to 2 Peter. The Apostle Peter powerfully puts it this way. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth. And the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. You see, the judgment of the day of God is going to be fire. And that fire is going to expose all of the civilizations and all the generations of humans that have gone before us. It is going to be a day that we can't quite comprehend with our minds. The cataclysmic judgment of God, fire on the earth, is going to be scary. The only illustration that I thought of here, the only reality that I could think of was Easter Lake. I know, forgive me as your pastor. That's all I got. But you remember when they emptied Easter Lake? They emptied Easter Lake years ago and they, they dredged it and they did all this. It's a whole mess, whole mess of a situation. But when they brought the water down, they found cars, for real. They found beer bottles. They found drug syringes. They found bodies. I'm just kidding about the bodies part. They didn't really find it. But all of you guys were with me like it happened. You know the South Side well. Okay. We took the water down and it exposed everything that was underneath. 
The day of the Lord is such that that fire is going to come and that fire will consume like water all the things, all the civilizations of this earth and everything's going to be exposed. This is a massive day of judgment. Now, the day of the Lord will bring nature to its knees. Nature itself is going to expire. It's going to wear out. The Bible says that the world that we know, that we live in, has a time stamp on it. There is going to be a day when the earth, which has absorbed the sin of mankind for millennia, is going to say, can't do it anymore. Now, you've seen some of these climate change discussions happen, right? This is a march from recent days. The future, our future is not negotiable. You guys have seen this on your social media feeds, on your news feeds. Climate change is a hot topic right now, no pun intended, right? Everybody's worried that it's getting too hot on the earth. Everybody's worried that we need to change some things so that we can cool down the planet. Here's the shocking thing of what the Bible says regarding end times. Some of you might be shocked to know in the coming weeks what God actually has planned for the judgment of the earth. But global warming and climate change is, I would just say humbly, right in step, right on schedule. The first judgment was a judgment of water on the earth in Genesis chapter 6. The second judgment will be a judgment of what class? Fire. And the fact that, that we are losing our minds as a society to say, we can do this, we can change this, we can do this, we can change this, shows us our pride and our arrogance and our sin that we think that we can build the tower of Babel. We can do it. We can make a name for ourselves. We can save this planet. I'm not saying don't be a good steward of the earth. Be a good steward of the earth, but understand that God has a day set in mind according to his word where there will be sudden destruction through fire. The day of the Lord is a day, but it's also a time period. It's a day where man will be punished for his sin and God will be exalted above all. It's heavy. It's good. It's good for you as a believer to know this. And aspect number three is the atmosphere. So the atmosphere of the day of the Lord. What are people going to be like? What's the social vibe What's the human vibe of the day of the Lord? What's going to happen when Christ comes in for the rapture and the day of judgment comes? Well, verse 3 through 8, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. But you are not in the darkness, verse 4, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. We're children of light, children of the day. We are not of the nighter of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but be awake and be sober. Those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So, what's the atmosphere of the day of the Lord? What's it, what's it going to feel like, be like, sound like, smell like? What's the atmosphere among us as humans, as society? Well, the Bible says, number one, that the, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be very sudden. It's going to be very quick. Like a thief breaking into your house. Now, for some of you, 
If a thief breaks into your house and tries to get through your door, some of you are ready for that moment. A lot of the guys in our church start salivating uncontrollably. Like, you want to come into my house, bro? Yeah, do it. Come on in. I've been training for this my whole life. Some of you are ready. Others of you are not ready. Like, it's totally going to be like, oh, bad things happen. Take whatever you want, you know. But nobody, whether you're ready or not ready, nobody is sitting on the corner of your block, right, hanging out at 4 p.m. with a thief saying, so are you going to come at 1 a.m.? Is that when you're planning to come? That's a good time for me. Is that a good time for you? Yeah, that'll work. Okay, so you come at 1 and um, yeah, we'll just schedule that. I'll just put that on the schedule. Nobody's doing that because no one plans for a thief to come into your house. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. The rapture is going to be like that. And nobody's going to be suspecting that it's time. Everybody's going to think, I got another day. I got another season. I got another birthday. I got another anniversary. Everybody's going to be looking forward to their future thinking, I got another thing. But the day of the Lord is going to come like this, like a thief in the night. But what about the people? Paul gives us a really good picture of the people, verses 4 through 8. There are Christians who are children of the day, right? You are children of the light, children of the day. You're sober-minded. You're watchful. Paul is telling the Thessalonian Christians, this day is not going to overtake you as a surprise. You know Jesus can come back at any moment. You know judgment is coming. So believer in Christ, you need to live your life as if you are ready for that day. You need to live your life like you're, you're, you're prepared. You are preparing for that day. That's the Christian. Paul's encouraging the Christian. The day of the Lord's coming. You're ready. What's the contrast? Children of darkness. Drunkenness. People who are, who are just of the world. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus. They're not preparing for anything because they don't think anything's coming. They look around at society and they're like, yeah, it's always been this way. It'll always be this way. Eat, drink, and be merry. Right? Have lots of parties. And it's, it's like they don't even want to acknowledge that God even exists, let alone is coming back. So do you see what I'm saying? Like there is a certain spirit amongst unbelievers that is like spiritually drunk. Okay, if someone's important is coming to my house, I either believe they're coming or I don't believe they're coming. If the president comes to my house, okay, I can respond in one of two ways. I can talk to my wife about that, see if she's okay with Mr. Biden sleeping in our basement, right? <laughs> but if they're coming, right, I don't care. Like, this is an honor. This is an amazing thing. We're going to get the vacuums going. We're going to clean the floors. We're going to make sure this place is spotless because we're going to have a lot of people at our house. It's not only going to be President Biden and his wife, but it'll all be all the cool Secret Service guys all around. Yeah. So you want to make sure they've got a place to stay. You're going to get ready and you're going to be like, okay, it's coming on this day. We're going to get ready. It's going to be, you know, we're watchful. If I don't believe the president exists and I don't really think he's coming, all right, I'm going to drink. I'm going to get drunk. Who cares? I don't really believe you're coming. 
I'm going to just party all day, party all night. And the president's going to come to my house and he's going to see that the, the carpets are stained. I'm sitting in my lazy boy, all right, drinking and smoking and doing all the stuff like, what up, bro? Didn't think you're coming. Sorry. Uh, do you want some pizza? We got a great Domino's down the street. You know, we can do that. Casey's, do you like Casey's pizza, taco? Okay, let's do that. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like there's a massive difference between the mindset of a non-Christian and the mindset of a Christian. A Christian should be, Jesus could come back any moment. I'm living for that moment. Could happen anytime. Non-Christians are thinking, whatever, whatever, doesn't matter. Eat, drink, be merry, moral relativism, secularism, yay, us. And they're singing the Jimmy Buffett song. Wasting away again in Margaritaville. You know what I'm saying? Listen, I sing that song to joke, but I want you to think about the day of God every time you hear that song. Because so many unbelievers sing that song to themselves saying, I'm sure I'll be fine in the end and they will endure the day of God. Because when there is no God, life doesn't matter. And when life doesn't matter, morals go out the window. And when morals go out the window, anything goes. And the life of a non-Christian is like, hey, peace and security, peace and security. Look how great we are as humans. And in that atmosphere, the day of God is coming. Now, here's what I want to say to you. The time of the day of the Lord. At that time, when it comes, when Christ comes to rapture his church and the day of God's judgment happens right after that, in that day, God will not be included in the minds of unbelievers. Just, it's not going to be there. And in that, they will only think about themselves. And what I mean by that is man-centered solutions. So the atmosphere before Jesus returns is going to be, it's all on us, guys. We're the best. We're the greatest. Every solution comes through us, for us, in us, through us. Do you feel like that is the air we breathe this day? Every, every single headline you read on your social media is, we need to do this, we need to change that, we can do this, we can change that. It's all on us, people. We can build the Tower of Babel, we can do this. And in the midst of that, I just, I just want to see one headline on the New York Times one day that says we need to repent. We need to stop sinning. We need to believe in Jesus and let him pour out his blessings upon us. We are a nation that is running towards an atmosphere of secularism and unbelief. And that is the exact atmosphere that will exist when Jesus comes back. So, believer, be sober, be ready. Be sober, be ready. You're children of the day. Use the day to glorify God. And if you know that you are safe from the wrath to come, you should be inviting as many people as you can to hear the message of Jesus. Amen? Like you should be telling everybody that you know that Jesus Christ is the only way to escape the wrath to come. And Billy Graham Association is coming to our city. Did you know this? 
October 2nd and 3rd, he's com- they're coming. They're, gonna, they're renting out Wells Fargo Arena. They're just saying, come, it's free. Invite all the people that you know that, that are in danger of the day of the Lord to come hear about Jesus. So church, one practical application, if you are saved by Christ from the wrath to come, just invite other people that you know are lost, don't know God, to come hear about Christ. And get down to Wells Fargo Arena. I'll be there. And if you need information, Paul and Cindy Thurman will give you some after service to help you develop a list of people you want to invite. Because if the day of God is coming and it is cataclysmic and it is fire judgment and it is all these things, we have the one truth that the world needs. We need to give it away. Aspect number four of the day of the Lord is the assurance in the day of the Lord. Verse 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the assurance that Paul gives the believers is that they won't be destined for wrath if they're in Christ. But they have been saved through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is laying down the encouragement at the very end saying, if the day of God is coming, you who are in Christ have assurance. And that assurance is that if you have Jesus in here, you will never face the wrath of God there. So if you die before the rapture, right? If you're dying Christ, Christ comes later. Paul already told you the good news. You're getting out first, right? You're coming out of the grave first. You get to go see Jesus first. That's encouraging. What about if you're alive when Christ comes back? That's awesome. You get second place going up into the sky, which I'm not okay with. But apparently I have to get second, you know, and I have to submit to Jesus because he's the king. But if, if Christ comes and I'm alive, awesome, right? I get to go right behind the dead in Christ. That's encouraging. And if you are in Christ, Paul is saying the assurance of your joy and salvation is the fact that you are not destined for wrath. That is the best news of all time. Because when the earth is burning and the flames of God's judgment are all over this planet, you don't want to be here. Can I get an amen? That's not going to be pleasant for anybody who is here on this planet enduring the judgment of God in Romans or in Revelation 6 through 18. So it's comforting to know that we haven't been destined for wrath. Through Jesus, we will never see the wrath of God. That is amazing. It's so comforting. And Jesus, through Paul, tells us some other scriptures that would encourage us in this way. Because like, really, as a believer, aren't you asking the question, how do I know 100%? How do I know? I mean, how can I be 100% assured? Like, how do I, how do I know this, that I, I will be saved from the wrath of God? Romans 10, 8 and 9. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And Isaiah 53 Surely he took our pain and he bore our sufferings, yet 
We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The the beauty and the power of the gospel message is that Jesus at the cross endured all the wrath of God for my sin so that when the actual wrath of God comes, I won't have to endure it. Isn't that good? That's so good. If you know Christ, he bore the full brunt of the wrath of God on the cross for your sins and mine. This is the greatest news of all time. Because that means I never have to fear my future. The future wrath of God is not, a, is not a scary thing anymore. Because Christ bore it in his body. So, as we close, we've seen four aspects of the day's, day of the Lord. The curiosity of it. Some of you are very curious about it, and that's good. Keep that curiosity. The definition of it, knowing what it is. The atmosphere of the society when Christ returns. And then the assurance, the beautiful assurance of knowing Jesus as your Savior. So as we close, we're going to respond to God. And my question for you this morning is, how are you going to respond to God? How are you going to respond to God? If you know Christ, you need to respond with joy and thanksgiving. And you need to invite people into this message. Invite people into the beautiful assurance that you have, right? And there's a lot of other ways to respond as a Christian. Maybe it's something else that stuck out to you. But this is your time to respond to the Lord. Some of you are not saved. This all should be very scary to you. Because if this is true, it means everything. If you don't know Christ and this is true, this means everything in your life. Certain punishment, certain damnation, certain hell. And you need to trust in Jesus now. Jesus died for you. He rose again for you. He wants to save you from the wrath of God. The only thing that's going to keep you out of heaven this morning is your own stubbornness, your own pride. So some of you just need to get saved right now and just pray to Jesus and ask him to forgive you because this is it. But by God's grace, may we all respond. You're going to have that time to do so. And may Jesus get the glory. Let's pray. Father, you're awesome. We love you. Lord, there's so much encouragement and comfort for those of us who are in Jesus regarding the future. The future is yours, God. And we hope in it. Jesus, thank you for bearing our wrath on the cross rising again from the dead, giving us hope. Jesus, we pray that you would return even today and take us from this place into your presence. God, help us to listen to the Holy Spirit now as we respond. And God, we pray for anybody that doesn't know Christ. May this be the moment where they see for the first time the danger that they are in of dying without Christ. Lord, we pray that you would save many and work in our hearts. Help us respond to you now in Jesus' name.